All right, well, today we are in week two of our series, The Struggle is Real, and we're acknowledging something big in this series, that each of us faces struggles in life, and for each of us, that struggle is real. That whether the struggle is relational, emotional, educational, physical, or in any other area of life, when you face a struggle, it's a big deal because it's real to you. But here's the big truth we leaned into last week. You will not be defined by the fact that you struggled. You will be defined by how you respond in the face of your struggles. That for every single one of us, we will not be defined by the fact that we struggle. Everyone struggles with something. Everyone struggles at some time. Everyone struggles. So the fact that you struggle is not going to define your life. What will define your life is how you respond when you struggle. And last week, we began this series by looking to the life of a young man named David, who early in his story faced a giant named Goliath. This was a very physical and tangible struggle, and one that the nation of Israel as a whole had not faced or overcome. But David arrived on the scene with a different mindset and a different perspective, that he was picked and chosen by God for this moment. And because he was picked by God, this struggle, this obstacle, this giant was not too big. And because of that perspective, when he stepped into the valley of conflict, he chose to stand on and fight for the sight of God and God's people. He ran at the problem. He did not run away from the problem. And he understood the obstacle for what it was, not what it appeared to be. So that leads to a really fun discussion and a really fun, fun question for us today. Sometimes we struggle because we don't know how to sustain success. You're like, how does that lead to that? Just imagine you're David and you're standing as the, as the guy who defeated Goliath. This is the ultimate success, right? I mean, like, this is the pinnacle, like, this is a moment that, like, for thousands of years, this is 3,000 years ago, and we still know the story. We know exactly what happened by how, like, like, David caught Goliath. This is an underdog story. Sometimes giants fall. Blah, blah, blah. Like, we still know the story. This is the pinnacle of success. Sometimes in life, you achieve victory, and we end up struggling because we don't know how to sustain success. And here's the truth that I want to make sure that we understand today. How you handle victory will determine how long you get to live in it. Buckle up. We're about to dive into some stuff today. Abraham Lincoln said this, The measure of a man is not how he responds to adversity, but how he responds to success. How you handle victory. When you overcome that struggle, when you face that obstacle, when you face your depression, when you face your anxiety, when you face the fact that the career has not gone how you hoped it would go, and you have faced it, and you've begun to take steps, and you're achieving little victory after little victory after little victory, and you got the job, and you got the promotion, and you got the raise, and you made the sale, and things are going better in your home than they've ever gone before, and when your parenting is actually working, and your children are responding well, how you handle those victories will determine how long you get to live in those victories. A couple things on, on this that I want to make sure we all understand. Life is full of struggles, but not all of life is meant to be a struggle. I, I, for, I don't know if anyone else has grew up with, with, with parents and with other adults, you know, like, like I grew up with, with, with people in my life who, who taught inspiring truths like this. Well, life is hard and then you die. Thanks, mom and dad. I'm, so, I'm glad you guys are watching today to enjoy this. Life is hard and then you die. Has anyone ever heard the longer version of that quote? It's even more inspiring. You, you may not have known that this was from a longer quote. There's a longer quote to this. Life is hard, then you die. 
Then they throw dirt in your face. Then the worms eat you. Be grateful it happens in that order. Isn't that even more inspiring? It's so encouraging. Life is hard and eventually you die. But I want to push back on the narrative or the thought that life is always hard or that everything about life is hard and it's supposed to be hard and will be hard forever. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 9, it says this, the life of the godly is full of light and joy, but the light of the wicked will be snuffed out. This idea that as we follow God, as we live out the things that God has for us, that God wants for us, there are some parts of life that should be light, that should be full of joy, that should be full of hope, that we don't live life sunk down by the weight of life because not all of life is supposed to be heavy and difficult. That Proverbs and Solomon, David's son, said the life of the godly is full of light. And it's not full of darkness. It's full of joy, not sorrow. That there are things of life that are, life is, is, is difficult. Life is hard. Life has struggles. But not all of life is supposed to be a struggle. Not all of life is supposed to be a struggle. That we need to learn to live in victory because not all of life is supposed to be a struggle. Number two is that life has enough struggle without you creating new ones. I mean, sometimes let's be honest, we self-destruct far too often. We've self-sabotaged far too often. We do things with, I mean, life is going to bring enough stuff at us without us creating some new struggles. I mean, I, I mentioned this last week that for some of us, the reason we have struggle, like we, like because we didn't deal with the struggle properly the last time, we actually created some new struggles. We, 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 we didn't deal with it. So now we have five struggles where we previously had one. Life has enough struggles without you creating new ones. And the third thing is simply this. I want to make sure that we don't become so familiar with struggle that you don't know how to live in victory, that you don't know how to live in stability and peace. So when we feel stability and peace, we blow things up because for you, Conflict feels more familiar. Conflict feels more comfortable. Conflict feels like home. And because peace doesn't feel like home, it feels unsettling. Because peace doesn't feel like, because joy doesn't feel comfortable, we think something is wrong when when things are actually going right. So don't become so familiar with struggle that you don't know how to live in victory. And so the question becomes today, it, 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 hopefully this isn't, you know, too challenging right up front in a message, but the question becomes, how do you handle victory so that you actually get to sustain it? How do you handle victory when, when you're feeling like things are going right? How do you make sure you don't blow it up? How do you handle victory so that when the uncomfortable peace and the uncomfortable joy and the uncomfortable, woo, things are actually going well, that you don't assume something is wrong and that you actually live in such a way that you sustain the victory and the good things that God has, ha- that God has for you. In other words, how do you make sure that, you, that when you actually achieve victory, that you, don't become, that you don't blow it up and begin a new cycle of struggles? When you look at what David did in the moments that follow his, his battle with Saul, his one-on-one battle, with, or sorry, with, with Goliath, what you find is that David took some steps 
that developed a, a life that would sustain victory, that would sustain peace. And for the next few years of his life, other than the fact that there was a king who was jealous of him, David actually began to live in victory after victory after victory. And I would submit today that that was no accident, but it happened because of the things that he did in the aftermath of that victory. In 1 Samuel 17, starting right where we left off last week, so David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that the champion was dead, they turned and they ran. Here's the first thing that you do to sustain victory. You cut off the head to make sure it's dead. You cut off the head to make sure it's dead. Goliath would haunt and taunt Israel never again. Every Philistine soldier not only saw Goliath fall, but they saw his head removed from his body. They saw his head removed and placed on the top of his own spear and dug into the ground because David knew that if he didn't do those things, there would always be the rumor that, that he hadn't defeated Goliath, that Goliath had simply fainted, that Goliath had simply had a bad day, that Goliath had simply fallen, that David didn't hit him, he just fell over. Like, like he knew enough to know, you gotta cut off the head to make sure it's dead. A number of years ago, when I was in, in college, I worked at a, a campground called Spencer Lake Christian Center, and it was our, our statewide you know, Christian campground for the Assemblies of God. And, and I worked in the maintenance crew and the, the outdoor grounds crew, and I had a, a, a couple guys that worked with me. One of them, his name was Brandon Levy, and there was a day in the middle of the summer where we were working in different parts of the campground. We were, it was weed-eating day. And, and he was weed-eating around the, the dining hall, and I was weeding on the other side of, of the campground around some of the, some, some of the um, bathroom facilities and all that kind of stuff. And, I, and, and we were both doing our stuff. We were supposed to meet up at the end of the day. And after about 45 minutes, Brandon came over, running over, looking as pale as a ghost. Now, this is, we were people who we lived outside for the summer. We were both as tan as you could possibly imagine. Brandon came over and Brandon looked as white as a ghost. And he was running with an urgency that I don't think I had ever seen Brandon run before. Now, Brandon played basketball. He was a, a, a good basketball player. I had never seen Brandon run with this, set, with this sense of urgency. I was like, so something's, something's wrong with my brand. I put my weed eater down, turned it off. Brandon, what's, like, what's going on? And Brandon goes, Chris, I just saw the biggest snake that I have ever seen in my life while I was weed eating behind. And I, and I am terrified of snakes. And I cannot go back there because there's a snake over there. And I, and I, I, just, I threw my weed eater. I came over here like, you got to go do like, we'll trade places. You go do around the dining hall because I'm not going back there unless I know that that snake is dead. Challenge accepted, right? So I go back over there and no kidding. Like when he said he threw his weed eater, it was 30 feet away from the dining hall. He had thrown it into the middle of a parking lot and just ran. It was, it was absolutely hilarious. So I get over there. I'm like, okay, now I, I don't particularly love snakes either, but I'm like, you know what? If there's a snake over here, I got a weed eater and I know there's no poisonous snakes around this particular freshwater lake in the middle of Wisconsin. So whatever this is, it can't be that big of a deal. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, the, the Goliath is nine feet tall, but maybe he's got acromegaly. You know, like, like, like I'm like, okay, so I'm going to go get the weed eater. I come back and I'm like, Weed eating, weed eating, kind of being a little careful in case I spot the snake. And I spot the snake and it's like this like 
12-inch garter snake. I mean, like, not a big deal. Like, it moved. Like, I'm, it, it moved and it scared Brandon. Like, that, that's all that happened. But I'm like, you know what? My friend needs to know that this thing is dead for him to feel comfortable working here. And I've got a weed eater in my hands. Now, I'm not going to say because this is going to go on the internet and live forever. I'm not going to declare what happened next. But I want to let you know that my friend Brandon had evidence that this snake had been dealt with by the end of the day. That he could go anywhere he wanted to go. That this snake had been dealt with. And for some of us, the way that we can move forward and sustain the success and live in victory moving forward is we need to make sure that we do what David did to Goliath and what I did to a snake at Spencer Lake. Christian Center, you've got to cut off the head to make sure it's dead. For some things in life, to move forward, you need to make sure that it is dead and gone for good. For some of you, this is a victory over sin thing, where you want a victory, you overcome temptation, and you feel great, and because you won once, and because you feel great, you think the fight is over. But you didn't cut off the source. You didn't cut off the head. And until you finish the job for good, that thing stays alive and it will be a constant source of struggle and temptation for you. For some of you, this is a wisdom thing, a a victorious wisdom thing where, like, let's just say financially, you pay off all of your credit card debt and you feel great. And because you feel great, you tell yourself that you deserve a little treat. So you take the credit card that you just paid off and you go on a shopping spree. And while you're celebrating, you put yourself right back into debt because you didn't deal with the source. Or, the, or, or address the source, which, by the way, it probably isn't the credit card itself. The credit card is just the tool that expresses the source, addresses the thing that you're, the need that you're trying to meet through buying stuff. Like, you, what, what we do is like, we need to make sure that we address the source. You cut off the head, you make sure it's dead and gone, that it stays where it is and it does not follow you into the future. You have to cut off the head to make sure it's dead. And I hope you know that is metaphorically. Do not like th- this is not a oh well some of the relationships my exes no. The metaphor you've got to deal with the problem you've got to make sure that it's dead and that it does not follow you into the future. You address the source and you address it at its root. The second thing that David did was he built a community of victory. He built a community of victory. In 1 Samuel 18, starting right away in the next chapter, we're told this. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept kept David with him, and he wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he believed he loved David as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Now, there's another passage later in in Samuel's recorded history of David's life where it records that David not only had a dear friendship with the prince of Israel, with Jonathan, the king's right-hand man, the king's right-hand son, the, the son who was supposed to be the one who would receive everything that, 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 that Saul had worked for and, and had built for and, and, and lived for. Jonathan had grown up in a house of victory. And David said, I, I, that's my friend. That's my friend. And luckily for David, Jonathan said, you're my friend too. Like this was a tight knit bond that led to some incredible victory and some incredible prosperity in David's life because Jonathan was a man familiar with 
living in peace and prosperity and living in victory. But we're also told that David, this wasn't the only relationship that David built that was a source of, of victory and was a community of victory. We're told in Samuel, 2 Samuel 23 that over the course of his life, in his military leadership, in his life leadership, his time spent as the king and his time before he was the king, David had developed a group of men that he had poured his life into who, who were incredibly strong, who were incredibly good warriors, who were strong men, who were people who experienced and achieved achieved victory and helped David achieve and experience victory. They're called in 2 Samuel 23, they're called David's three mightiest warriors. And then outside of that, there's another group of men called David, called David's 30 mighty men. David did not just build a community. David was not unintentional with his friendships. David specifically had a community of strength that knew how to win, which is a big deal. It's one thing to have a community that supports you no matter what. It's an entirely different thing to have a community that knows how to achieve victory and success and will dedicate themselves to your victory and your success. And here's why this is so big, so big of a deal. People committed to victory are friends who won't let you lose. So when it comes to who are the people that you're dedicating your life to, that you're investing your life to, that you're surrounding yourself with, it's one thing to say, I want to have a community. I want to have friends. I want to have people in my life. It's one thing to say that and we all need friends and we all need people and we all need community. But more than we need community and we need friends and we need people as we need community and friends and people who are dedicated and know how to achieve and sustain victory. They know how to win. They know how to win spiritually. They know how to win financially. They know how to win in career. They know how to win in family. They know how to build friendships that are valuable and good and healthy and encouraging and last a lifetime. We need to surround ourselves with a community and with friendships and with people and with people who will lay down their own self-interest for our interest because they care so much about you and your victory that they will, that they will make sure that you win. This is what David did with Jonathan. This is what David did with the three mightiest warriors. And this is what David did with his 30 mighty men. David surrounded himself with people who knew how to win and people who know how to win won't let you lose. And David, because of that community, was able to establish and live in and live out the victory that God had given him over Goliath and formed a moment and a time in his life of incredible prosperity, of victory after victory after victory after victory, of peace after peace after peace after peace. And then the third thing that David did, and this is something that I think we, we, we get so guilty of doing, David kept bringing his humble and keep, kept bringing his hustle. And for you, the thing that every single one of us needs to do is we need to keep bringing our humble and keep bringing our hustle. In verse 17 of chapter 18 of, of 1 Samuel, it says this, One day Saul said to David, I am ready to give you my older daughter Mirab as your wife. But first, you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. You're going wait, 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 what? Saul, because of David's success militarily, had become jealous that he had the attention and the affection of the people of Israel. And so in verse 18, who am I and what is my family in Israel? That I should be the king's son-in-law, David exclaimed. My father's family is nothing. This is an interesting note. David 
had, an, had been anointed to be king, chosen by God to be king before he fought Goliath. And while there's still a king sitting on the throne, and that king has a son who's the prince, and everyone assumes he's going to inherit the throne of Israel. When you're anointed the next king, but there's an existing king who already has a son, it's hard to see a path to becoming the king. But here, David is offered a place in the king's family as the king's son-in-law, and his response is not, whew, whew, sweet, this is obviously the way that God's going to get to, you know, get me to where God has promised he would get me. Ah, good, finally someone has recognized my hard work, someone has recognized my victory, someone has recognized my success, and this is how God's going to get me to the place. No, David's response is humility. He has a chance to take, take a step toward making God, the call of God a reality without any work on God's part. And he chooses humility. I mean, I'm just telling you, if I was David and I had defeated Goliath and when Saul put me in charge of the military, I never lost I think my response at the opportunity to, be, to, to come into the palace as part of the royal family, I think my response would be, oh, it's about time. Like, yeah. Who, like, and David's response is so much better than mine and so much better than many of ours. He says, well, like, who am I? David never forgot where he came from. David never forgot that he had once been standing out in the, in the, in the, in the fields caring for sheep and fighting off bears, and fighting off lions, and caring for smelly, stupid sheep. That was his job. That's where he came. He was the youngest son that when, his, that when the prophet Samuel came and asked to see all of Jesse's sons, Jesse forgot about David because surely Samuel did not come to see the youngest son who's out tending the sheep. Who am I? And, and who is my family? In Israel. In the meantime, Saul's daughter Michelle had fallen in love with David, and Saul was delighted when he heard about it. Then Saul told his men to say to David, The king really likes you, and so do we. Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son in law? When Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, Well, how can a poor man from a humble family afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? When Saul's men reported this back to the king, he told them, Tell David that all I want for the bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. Weird stuff happened in the Bible, guys, okay? Vengeance on my enemies is all I really want. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. David was delighted to accept the offer. Before the time limit expired, we're told, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. Then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting all their foreskins to him. So Saul gave his daughter Michelle to David to be his wife. Notice in this moment, there's the humble and then there's a hustle. There's the humble and then there's the hustle. This is where I came from and I'm going to never forget where I came from. I'm never going to forget the fact that it took a fight to get me to where I am, that it took a fight to get over that, to, to, to face that temptation and to overcome that temptation. And it took a fight to get where we are as a family. And it, like, I, I never want to forget and be grateful, like forget to be grateful for what God has brought us through and the place that God has brought us to. Like, thank God, I'm going to remain humble. But at the same time, while I'm humble, I'm also going to make sure that I hustled. For David, the king asked for 100. We're going to go into battle. We're going to get 200. Because 
to get from where I am to where God wants me to be, like, that, like, it deserves the best of my effort, the best of my work, the best of my energy. I'm going to do more than what's asked of me. I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to hustle. Verse 28, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michelle loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. In verse 30, every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became more and very famous. David never forgot where he came from and never took his victory or success for granted. Some of us, the reason this is so important for us to understand is for some of us, we become complacent far too easily. We get the smallest bit of success. We get the smallest victory over sin, the smallest victory over temptation, the smallest victory financially, the smallest victory in our career or in our family. And we become complacent and we think we've got it made in the shade. We see early success and we think the whole job is done. We get the order and we think the job is done once the order is placed. You get married and you think the hard part of the relationship is over and you start coasting. (laughs) Like David, in, in that moment of his life, when victory had come, when victory after victory after victory had come, he remained humble and he remained a man of hustle. And here's the reason this is so important for us. There are things that God will place in your hands that will not stay in your hands if you are unwilling to work. There are things that God will place in your hands where because of God's work in you, because of God's work through you, in ways that you can't fully explain, in ways that you can't really wrap your mind around, there are things that are in your hands that you do not, did not earn and you do not deserve. And if you will not stay humble about how and recognize that it came from God, it'll get taken out of your hands. And if you're not willing to hustle and work to build a life that sustains that victory and sustains the ability to hold on to what God has given you, it will not stay in your hands either. It will depart as if it's blown away by the wind. We need to recognize that it all comes from God. It all comes from God. And how we handle it is a response to our love and our affection for God. I stay humble and I bring my hustle. I stay humble and I bring my hustle. It all, all comes from God. Everything that you have, every good thing that you have, it comes from God. And you know that there are times in your life where God has brought something good and he placed it in your hands and you failed to work to maintain it or to strengthen it. And because you failed to work to maintain or strengthen it, it drifted away. It was a relationship. It was a career move. It was something happening in school. It was something good happening in your family. It was something good happening in your marriage. It was something good happening in your dating life. And you became content far too easily and you stopped working. And you don't have it because you worked for it. You have it because it came from God. But God entrusted you to care for it and to manage it and to maintain it well. And when we don't, it departs from us. In Proverbs chapter 24, David's own son wrote this. I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed 
robber. You're like, what an encouraging verse of scripture. Thank you for bringing that out up, Chris. Solomon is, is doing, is unpacking something that we all need to be reminded of. That our success, our, our, our victory, our, our wins, our prosperity, it's, it comes from God. It doesn't necessarily come from our hard work, but he says, when we look at it and when we think about it and when we go, ah, because of the success, because of the victory, because of the prosperity, because things are good, I can get a little extra sleep. I can get a little more slumber. I can put my, fold my hands a little bit more and let them rest here on my belly while I watch TV. He says, a little bit of holding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Let's never become so content with the beginning and the early steps of goodness that we fail to work to maintain and steward it well. Let's keep bringing our humility. Let's keep bringing our hustle to everything that we have in life. Again, how you handle our moments, your moments of victory will determine how long you get to live in it. How you handle, how you respond to your moments of victory and your moments of success and your moments of prosperity and your moments of we're winning and we've got the sails at our, we've got the wind at our, in our, in our sails and we're going, it's, it's easy. Life is going good. How you handle those moments of victory, it will determine how long you get to live in your victory. And if we'll follow David's example, we will actually live and experience what God has for us as his victorious sons and daughters living in our world. So let's follow David's example. Let's cut off the head to make sure that it's dead, that it stays in the past, that it stays dead and gone, and it does not follow us into the future anymore. That whether that is a financial thing, a temptation thing, a family, you know, family dynamics thing, that whatever it is, that it's dead and gone because we dealt with it and we addressed the sort and, and source and we dealt with it at the root so that it doesn't come back because it is dead and gone. Let's make sure that we do that. Let's build a community of victory that we surround ourselves, not just with friends and community with people, but we surround ourselves with people who care about us, people who know how to win, people who know how to win spiritually and financially, people of wisdom, people who know how to win in career, people who know how to win with family, people who know how to live, how to win when it comes to parenting, people who have done it well and can pass along their success and their victory to you. Let's build a community of victory. And then let's never forget to stay humble and to stay hustling. To stay humble and keep hustling. To stay humble. We always remember where we came from. We're always grateful for what God has done to bring us to this point. And then we keep hustling to make sure that if it depends on us, as far as it depends on us, God has what he needs from us to accomplish everything that he wants in and through and for us. And if we'll do that, I'm telling you, the struggle is real. For some of us, this is the biggest struggle of our lives. We have gotten so used to the chaos and the conflict that when things are going well, we do not know how to live in it and keep the peace and keep the victory and hold on to the success. We do not know how to do this. This is a very real struggle for some, for some of us. But if we'll follow David's example, we can live in the victory that God has for us. And the struggle may be very real, but there is a God who is also very real. And he is bigger and stronger than any struggle that you face, including the struggle to maintain victory. 
So today, would you follow him? Would you trust him? Would you live for him and allow him to build and, and, and carry out the life that he has for you and the, and the things that he wants to do through you in your moments of victory, in your moments of success, in your moments of prosperity, in the moments when everything is going well, because that is what God has for you as well. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that, in, that while the struggle is real, you are real too. Thank you that while the struggle is big, you are bigger still. And God, thank you that you have victory and success and prosperity and life and peace for us. And God, today, I thank you for this incredibly challenging word. God, that, that how we handle our moments of victory will we'll determine how long we actually get to live in that victory. God, it's a challenging word. It's a difficult word. And God, I thank you that, not, that while life is full of struggle, God, not all of life is meant to be a struggle. I thank you that, that, that life has struggles, but we don't have to build more of our own. So God, I thank you that for the example of David, who knew to cut off the head so, it's, so the thing stays dead, who knew to build a community of victory, and who knew how to stay humble and to keep hustling, and set an incredible example for us to follow so that we would do the same. And that as we do the same, God, I pray that we would, we would know what it is that we're supposed to do with what we've just heard. And God, I pray that we would have the courage to actually do it so that we can live in the victory that you have for us and carry out and live from a place of victory that you want us to live, live from every single day. So God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the example of David. We thank you for everything that you are and everything that you have for us. And we ask that you would help us to live in it every single day. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.